Hello, Internet. It's Tori. You're listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. For updates on when episodes go live, follow us on Twitter and Facebook. To join the discussion, visit our Patreon page at patreon.com slash CosmereCast, where you'll find an invitation to our Discord server. Thank you for listening, and please enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. I'm your host, Mike. Joining me this week are Craig. Hello. Dave. Hello, Internet. And Tori. Hello, Internet. And we start every week with good things. So, Craig, what is your good thing this week? Uh, so, uh, so for us that are currently doing the, the recording here, uh, it is just January. We just passed the New Year. And I wanted to talk about a video that was just posted by CGP Gray. If you guys don't know, CGP Gray is uh, one of those like scientific, uh, one of those scientific educational type YouTubers. He does some good stuff. Unfortunately, he doesn't post too often, uh, but he makes some really good content. Highly recommended. He is a good thing, but he is not the good thing for this week. But he just posted a video talking about New Year's resolutions, which for the most part don't work. People get a New Year's resolution. It sort of falls by the wayside pretty much by this time of year. Uh, for us recording, which is like the end of January. And the video talks about this, and rather than trying to create a New Year's resolution, you should have a New Year's theme, or just a theme for the year. Uh, so in that case, when you have a theme, uh, it's sort of better psych- psychologically for the brain, where resolutions don't really work because you're trying to force yourself to do something and there's no real reward, versus a theme, which is sort of like, if you're given a choice to do something in life, if you stick to your theme, well, not even stick to it, but if you have a certain theme going, you'll maybe choose the thing that leads to that theme. For example, uh, just for the typical New Year's resolution, you can have a theme of fitness. So rather than saying, I'm just going to get fit, rather, maybe it's the beginning of the day or end of the day. You're like, hmm, what should I do with my time? Hey, it's the it's the season, the theme of fitness. I'll choose something to go be fit, maybe. So it's a really neat way to sort of think about the whole resolution type thing. And maybe, I mean, I never really made a resolution myself for ages, but uh, it this seems pretty neat. So I do recommend CGP Gray. He'll explain that a lot better than I. Uh, but yeah, so pretty cool. I, I think it's a it's a good way to approach the new year. Neat. Uh, Dave, I believe you're up next. I believe you're right, Mike. Okay. <laughs> My good thing this week is the original soundtrack to, and Tori is going to love this, Secret of Mana. And for those of you not in our Discord server, first of all, how could you? Or how could Just go to our Patreon page. No, uh, no requirement to sign up to join the Discord and see the text discussion. Uh, patreon.com slash CosmereCast. There whether you're a patron or not, you'll find a link to our Discord description, and you can join. And you can see that Tori's avatar is, in fact, the Dryad from Secret of Mana. So I think that she's a little, she's a fan of the game, Secret of Mana. And I am a big-time adorer at... Is that a word? <laughs> it is now. Yes. <laughs> I'm a big, I'm a big-time admirer of the soundtrack of Secret of Mana. And... It's so good, guys. I I don't have any nostalgia playing Secret of Mana. I didn't have it when I grew up. I didn't even play that much of it as an adult. 
I'm not really the biggest fan of Secret of Mana. I, well, don't get me wrong. I understand that a lot of people love Secret of Mana, and it does have a lot of good things going for it. But there are a couple aspects of the game make it kind of unplayable. Um, but the soundtrack is phenomenal. It's top, top notch, top tier. Despite me not having any kind of emotional attachment to the game, I still get into it and I love it. And I love, uh, I love some of the titles that they have on the tracks too. They're more poetic than most video game soundtrack titles of songs. There's The Color of the Summer Sky, A Bell is Tolling, Calm Before the Storm, What the Forest Taught Me. A lot of cool titles. And, just as a side note, I think it's kind of interesting that I've seen, over the years, I've seen different kind of translations and transliterations of uh, OST titles, and Secret of Mana gets, like, the weirdest discrepancies. Like, I've seen, there's Into the Thicket, or Into the Thick of It, there's I mean, a Bell is Tolling. legit. Yeah, but then I've seen A Bell is Tolling versus eight bell like eight ringing bells like is it one bell or is it eight bells how is how does that not get translated consistently uh orphans of the storm versus calm before the storm so <laughs> that's that's fun um yes yeah, so <laughs> i don't i don't know why they get the translations of the title i guess there hasn't really been an official osc release of secret of mana maybe there was later on but I definitely um, agree. It's some good music. And uh, same thing, I don't have that emotional attachment from growing yeah. up with the game or Top-notch anything. Top-notch soundtrack. Um, but it's just really good. Played Into the Unknown. Oh, man, so many good songs. Secret of the Arid Sands. Uh, and one of the reasons that I have a really hard time playing Secret of Mana is because I love the music so much. And if you've ever played the original Super Nintendo version of Secret of Mana, they didn't prioritize their sound channels very well, and the sound effects cut into the music a lot, and it's really distracting. And that's that's kind of the biggest sin that Secret of Mana commits, is that it has a nearly perfect soundtrack that you can't listen to while you're playing. Can't listen to the music. Unlike there, are, there, are workarounds. there are workarounds. There's actually an MSU hack for Secret of Mana, where you can take, uh, you can take basically wave files and have it play the wave files instead of the original. And you can do this if you have a flash cartridge. You can do this on your original Super Nintendo hardware as well. So there are ways around it. So maybe one of these days I'll actually get wave versions of the music and play with that MSU patch so that I can have a better experience with it. Or maybe the they did a better job of it in the remake on Steam and various platforms. Maybe Tori can answer to that. Anyway, Secret of Mana soundtrack, top-notch. Love it. Go listen to it. Even if you don't play the game, just... Check it out. Cool. Uh, so my uh, good thing this week is sous vide, which is a cooking technique that I used last night to make just the best steaks. Wait, is that Julia Child does that? Possibly. Uh, I, I'm not. I'm not familiar with uh, Ms. Child's work as as much as Which, maybe I should be. Switch that TV slash food. I think is her. Uh... Her official channel. That was, <laughs> that was a big channel on point. That was like that was trying to be the next Bob Ross at one point. Uh, anyway, oh, that's not what it's called. I forget what it's called. It's it's basically meat magic. Uh, you take a plastic bag. You you put your seasoned raw meat inside. Uh, you put that into a container of water, and then you very carefully control the temperature of that water, and you keep the meat in there for a while, like I did about two hours. And what it does is it makes sure that the the meat is 
that exact temperature all the way through consistently. Um, and then you get a frying pan super duper hot, like as hot as you could possibly get it on your stovetop. And then you, you know, get a sear on both sides. Uh, it took me slightly less than a minute on each side for these steaks to get the right sear. And what, what you're trying to do there is literally just sear it. You do not want to add heat to your meat because it's already the temperature it's supposed to be. And right, you just want it. You just want to kill the bacteria, and you do that at the first stage. Um, and yeah, so what you get, so with like a normal pan-fried steak, it's like seared on the outside and then well done, and then it like gradiates down to whatever you want in the middle. Sous vide doesn't do that. Sous vide is just sear and then perfectly cooked all the way through, and then sear. It's oh, it's phenomenal, and yeah. I am never going to buy a steak at a restaurant again because I can do better myself. That's the way to go, right there. Uh, it's steak and bacon. And Dave, it's uh, it's it's spelled S O U S V I D E. Um, but yeah, super duper good. Highly recommended it if you have something that can do sous vide. I have an instant pot that has a sous vide function, and oh my god, it's so good. So that's my good thing. Nice. Which means it's Tori's turn. My good thing is it is Phantom's birthday. Today is Phantom's second birthday. My doggy is two. He's two years old. And so um, Aw, you named your dog after the train from Final Fantasy VI. Happy birthday to a very good pupper. And uh, so our other dog, Spirit, uh, being a rescue, we don't know her birthday. Uh, but we do know she is approximately the same age as Phantom, so for all intents and purposes, they have the same birthday. So when we're done recording, I am making them a cake, and I'm going to make them wear party hats, and I'm going to try to take a picture. <laughs> yeah, and, better uh, <laughs> being the youngest of five children, my parents also tried to say that I graduated on my sister's birthday. <laughs> happy double doggo birthday, and happy gradu birthday, uh, Dave. <laughs> Her birthday's in June. I graduated in June. It's the same party. I'm nope. just kidding. My parents took very good care of me, and they love me very much, and I appreciate all they've done for me. Uh, no, okay. I want to complain about my December birthday that's right <laughs> next to Christmas, because I didn't get a birthday party until I was a grown adult person. I, yeah. When I married into my husband's family, and my husband's family... Uh, my husband, his sister, and his mother all have December birthdays, so they make a big deal out of separating Christmas and birthday in that family. So it was not until I married into that family that I got to actually have a birthday, and now, dang it, I'm so mad about my childhood. I'm so mad, you guys. <laughs> this my is good thing. Bring it back to the dog. My I mom's birthday is the day after Christmas. Yeah, I just want to combine my parents' birthday and Christmas now, and I don't, because that would be mean. But it's like, Merry Christmas, Mom and Dad, and this also is your birthday gift. Yes, I know your birthdays are both in July, but yeah. Good thing. My dogs are amazing, and they're going to have cake later. Keep an eye on the channel for pictures. Yay. All right, Dave, uh, you didn't read anything. This week. Oh, how could you? I didn't read anything. I wrote oh. something. 
So why, why don't you uh, read us what you wrote, and let's try to clock it in at under two minutes and see how you do. Okay, so... Wait, 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 wait. Hold on, let me get my timer out. We, we're using an official uh, speedrunning clock. We're <laughs> using a live split? Or a W split? Well, sure, W split. All right, I'm ready. All right, oh, it's, it's not up on the stream. Brandon. Hold up, hold up, hold up. It's not up on the stream. Oh, I don't have... It's going to take a moment for me. You can add this to your stream, dude. It takes like a second. I am. Give me a second. OBS noob. He only uses one overlay. Yeah, pretty much. I use like five. (laughs) I can like copy and paste it, right? Oh, okay. You just broke everything. There you go. Done. Ready. Woo. All right. Word Breaker by Brandon Sanderson. Count me in. Three. Three. Two. One. Go. Nightblood is a sword. Nightblood was created to destroy <laughs> evil. Nightblood doesn't really know what evil is, but he's sure he'll know it when he sees it. In fact, Nightblood already destroyed tons of evil people. He doesn't remember who, though. Nightblood has a best friend named Vasher. Sometimes people call Vasher Vasher. Sometimes people call Vasher Kalad. People used to call Vasher Talaxin. Nightblood isn't sure why, but he knows that Vasher isn't evil. Nightblood has a best friend named Aloysius. Aloysius is a gray squirrel. Nightblood doesn't really know what Grey is, but Aloysius also likes to destroy evil, so they get along great. Nightblood has a best friend named Shashara, but he hasn't seen her all day. Nightblood <laughs> misses Shashara. Nightblood also knows a girl named Vivenna. Vivenna is very pretty. Nightblood doesn't really know what pretty is, but he can tell that Vasher thinks she's pretty, so she must be. Nightblood loses Vasher for a minute, and someone gets Nightblood wet, but Vivenna finds him and drives him off. With her help, Nightblood and Vasher are finally reunited and they team up to destroy a whole bunch of evil. Nightblood is sure there's even more evil to destroy, but Vasher drops him. Oops. Vasher seems worried about his people's safety, but Nightblood reminds Vasher that he left an army to protect his people. Silly Vasher, he forgot, even though it was just yesterday. Nightblood takes a nap and then wakes up to find Vasher and Vivenna flirting. Nightblood doesn't really know what flirting is, but they should be paying attention to Nightblood. To be continued. Is that it? Well done, I guess. Man, if only this book was written by Nightblood. That's awesome. I loved it. I I missed all the parts about Light Song, though. Nightblood oh. doesn't know anyone named Light Song. <laughs> <laughs> so that was one minute and 31 seconds just under. Yeah, I was going to say, you got like 30 um, more seconds there. <laughs> I wrote a real summary. You guys want to hear it? Is it Am also a two minute or it's a uh, it's about two and a half. Because that one I that one did the light song skip and the god the god king skip. <laughs> <laughs> I've got my stopwatch. Alright. Ready? Warbreaker by Brandon Sanderson. Three less interesting summary. Two one begin. The conservative nation of Idris and the degenerate nation of Halandrin have held a tenuous peace for a long time. The Idrians believe they had the hereditary right to rule both nations, but Halandrin controlled vast military power. Pursuant to their treaty, King Dedalin of Idris sends his daughter to marry the god-king of Halandrin. However, to the surprise of all, including his daughters, he sends his youngest daughter, Ciri, rather than his eldest daughter, Vivenna. While Ciri tries to make the best of her situation, Vivenna infiltrates Halandrin to rescue her younger sister. Vivenna is appalled at the garishness of the Halandrin people, flashing skin and colored fabric, the mere thought of which would make a modest Idrian woman blush. Moreover, Vivenna is outraged at the Halandrin use of biochromatic breath. 
a mystical power that every human is born with, but can be harvested by those with enough wealth and influence. This power, once amassed, can be used to heighten one's senses and bring inanimate objects to life. Devena meets an Idrian spy who forces his wealth of breath upon her before passing away. Devena is then left in the care of a warmongering mercenary dent, who eventually betrays her. In the meantime, Siri befriends a man named Bluefingers, a foreign attendant of the God King. Bluefingers utters an ominous warning to Siri, and he is the only one of the people she trusts in her new environment. Siri also learns of the return, people who once died but came back to life thanks to a special biochromatic breath, the origin of which no one fully understands. The returned live in palaces and are treated like gods while they take care of Halindrin's legislative and political responsibilities. The most powerful returned is the god king, Susebrin, who also happens to be Ciri's husband. Although fearful at first, Ciri cultivates a bond with her husband and learns that his priesthood cut out his tongue to prevent him from using his biochromatic power. Back in the Halindrin capital city, Vivenna is forced to live on the streets and is rescued by Vasher, to dance the longtime nemesis with a mysterious past. Vasher and Princess Vivenna work together to reverse Dent's pro-war agenda, but for whom has Dent been working? The day to vote on war has come, but Ciri and Susebrin are detained by the God King's priesthood and unable to attend the council meeting. The vote, however, is overshadowed when Dent, under the employ of Bluefingers, sacks the palace. The foreigner and his people coerce the gods into giving them their military power, and the high priest of the God King is slain while defending Susebrin and Ciri. The ancient religion held information that could stop the war, but its secrets would never again be told. His meticulous plot of revenge near, nearly complete. Bluefingers orders an army of lifeless zombie soldiers to attack Idris so that his country can rise to prominence over the other two. All seems lost until Vasher arrives and rescues Susebrin. Vasher reveals himself to be one of the gods of old who witnessed the original war between Halindrin and Idris centuries ago. Vasher entrusts his own army of stone lifeless, a smaller but more powerful force, the god king Susebrin. Will the new army be able to overtake the invading lifeless army before they reach Idris? Find out eventually. <laughs> and time. 253. Eh, good enough. Pretty close. Uh, but not world record. Point of order. <laughs> I did um, not mention Light Song. I, I tried to, but... No, no, no. That's that's fine. I mean, there's some critical stuff, but that's, you know, you have two, three minutes to work with. But I will say that Dent actually isn't working for Blue Fingers. He's sort that's of... That's true. I don't want to say he's working with so much as they're working for the same person. Who's that? Oh, is that, that is a uh, good question that we don't fully know? Trilogies? What the heck? You think it's Yestiel? Yestiel? No, it's yeah. not trilogies. Trilogies, <laughs> deadities. All right, be- before we get too into the weeds here, uh, last week, Dave, Craig, and I asked you a question, and you didn't have an answer for us yet, and you were. You were hopefully going to think about that and come back to us with one. Do you remember the question? Um, is it one of the slumlords? <laughs> Why? Uh, okay, well, how about if you repeat the question so people know what we're talking about without having to go back a week? <laughs> uh, Craig asked me who I thought was Yesteel, and he said that it was... A- Arsteel. Arsteel? Arsteel. Arsteel. Oh, but, okay, Arsteel was the one that uh, Vasha killed. Correct. Okay. Is it Claude? Yes, it is. Is it really? Ding, yeah. ding, ding. I thought that, actually. I was actu- actually thought that it was, um... I was thinking that Claude was probably somebody important, because, like, especially Jules, they were was kind of affectionate toward him, so I right. thought that he was kind of a significant person in his former life, and I just kind of, like, forgot about him. So oh, there's um, a few things here. 
sorry, real real quick, on the topic of Jules and R. Steel slash Claude, uh, they had a romantic relationship that did not end after he became a... Uh, that Yeah, that, that came across. And yeah. I think even... Dent, it's either Dent or Tong Fa is talking to Jack McBrayer's character, and he's like, oh, Jules is kind of attached right now, and they kind of paint over to Jules, like, fixing up Claude. Yep. yep. Putting a bow tie on him. There's a little hint, hint over there. Um, yeah. But uh, uh, one major thing about Claude, though, I don't know, I don't quite remember if it's actually in the book, but I think it's referenced that Claude just seems much more skilled. I think Dent even talks about how some bodies are more skilled than others. You have to yeah. understand that our steel is re- a ridiculously good swordsman. Probably yeah, like, one of the better. best. Definitely better than Vasher. Sure. Possibly yeah. better and we than... Already, we already know oh. how good Dent is. Our steel is better than Dent. Right. Dent starts um, out saying that our steel was better. Yes. So, Claude inherited that muscle memory and everything else, which is why they really want to keep him around as a lifeless if any, well, obviously they'd want him alive, but uh, they can't have that. But as a lifeless, he's one of the best they can actually have. So they don't just want to get any old lifeless and use him. They want to use Claude because he's Arsteel. Mm-hmm. I should put my spoiler tag up for for the stream. Yeah, this this episode is full spoilers for Warbreaker. I don't know that we necessarily need to say that since it's the overview, but yeah. Full full spoilers for Warbreaker. Now that we have spoiled all of Warbreaker, <laughs> basically <laughs> summarized everything. You can when you upload the episode, you can put that in the episode description. I guess I don't think I'm going to do that. Do you think I'm going to do that? Because I I don't think I'm going to do that. Future mind. Um. All right. Next thing I want to address, and mostly because I super duper borked this up on the Mistborn overview, is uh themes for the book what what would you say the overriding theme for the book is dave um prejudice in that uh you i mean you should well let's say you should uh challenge your expectations and judgments of other cultures i mean that's that's vivenna's yeah yeah there's other Uh, characters but uh like nightblood that's a theme yeah uh, so my my read on the theme here is subverted expectations, um, both okay. within within the work within the the char- each character's journey is they they end up in a nearly opposite place to where they began. Um, mm-hmm. In addition, especially if you recently read Mistborn and came into that or came from that to this, you have some like meta expectations. Like, you expect the God King to be basically Lord Ruler version 2. And he's he's actually the opposite of that. So that's a meta-expectation subversion. Yeah. By yeah. Brandon, to the writer, to the reader. He was sort of going for that after releasing Mistborn. It's like, hey, let me play with readers' expectations so they know that I'm not just going to write the same story over and over again. And, like, neither Vivenna nor Siri is anything like Vin at all. Um, Vasher isn't Kelsier. Like you, right. you, you go into the into it expecting these characters to fill these archetypes, and they look like they might for a second, and then they end up Ooh. generally in like the almost exact opposite position from that. Yeah, that when, reminds- I, when I started out, uh, you said "ooh," so yours is more important. 
Oh, okay. <laughs> well, so I, I'm excited about this because I can actually talk to you about it. It was something we talked about in, in one of the spoiler sections. Uh, so way back when Dent and Vivenna have a meeting. So this is when Vivenna's working with Dent. Uh, they go to meet the, the, the crime boss who just wants to test Dent. Um, if you remember, it's like, hey, let me see the, the hair. Okay, how much was she worth? And then essentially, let's just see how good of a swordsman Dent is. That's his excuse anyway that he did. But I want to pay special attention to that chapter. If you ever do a reread of this book, Dave, um, the way they're describing Dent, they're describing him sort of like Kelsier was described, like the way he sort of pops out of nowhere, gets together this team of, of elite thieves and has this like small elite team. And just every description they're trying to make, uh, Sanderson's trying to make Dent sound like Kelsier. So that way, you know, halfway through the book, when you find out Dent's actually a bad guy, uh, so to speak, it's like, what? I thought this was, he was like Kelsier. What the heck? So we sort of talked about that during one of the spoiler sections. Oh, uh, gosh. I was going to say that Mike touched up on this, and I think I actually kind of said in the intro that Vasher seems like the Kelsier of the book. Right. And I didn't really hold to that uh, going forward from there. So, yeah. So, so there you go. Subverted expectations, both within the work, just on its own, and also in a in a meta sense, like on the reader. And it all works because everyone has in-universe justifications for what they do and why they do them. Ryan Johnson, director of The Last Jedi, is where I'm going. Okay, just Dave, talk about a thing. <laughs> look, I don't know people, so don't don't look at me. Ryan Jobs, Ryan Johnson, director of The Last Jedi. Ryan Johnson, director. That's what I heard. Okay. Yeah. Let's you're let's just. Well, it's my recording is picking up everything I'm saying, and it's also getting everything you guys are saying. So it's fine. Just pretend well, like you know what I'm saying. Fine if I can't. <laughs> okay. Ah, uh, yes. Ryan Johnson, <laughs> the corrector of Star Wars. Can we move on? <laughs> and the murder mystery Knives Out of 2019. That Ryan Johnson. Oh, yeah, I do have to see Knives Out. Good point. He directed three episodes of Breaking Bad as well. It's just so, like, so, Mike? I think Mike just told us. Yes, Mike, did Craig. you have more questions? No, I I covered some of what I wanted to do. I just sort of wanted to see where things go, and then if I think of something, I'll throw it in. Okay, so I actually had some questions for Dave. Okay. Uh, first, let's let's give her a general feel. What did you think of the book? It was pretty good. I liked it. I liked uh, I liked Light Song, and I liked Nightblood. Yeah, yep. I wasn't honestly wasn't as interested in the story that much, but there were interesting characters, and I think the character development of Vivenna is probably the strongest point of the book, which uh, I guess no, is why I focus on that too in theming. To be fair, the plot is sort of just there. It's This is a book all about character development. Yeah. Like, start yeah. to finish. It doesn't really matter what's happening. It matters what's happening to the characters. Right. Um, one of the, the takeaways that most people in this book, uh, Light Song is the favorite. Uh, the Vena is the least favorite, but at least in the beginning when she seems like such a weak character, which is sort of the intention, because she goes through probably the biggest amount of growth in this book. So, mm-hmm. um, 
the fact that like you can appreciate it that's that's really good um definitely on a reread like i still don't necessarily like her early chapters but as a character i appreciate her but i, I still think i don't know light song's probably my favorite overall because just because of his awesome moment at the very end both sad and amazing um but yeah uh overall this is one of my favorites i mean the Mistborn series itself is probably still my favorite, but I reread Warbreaker more just because it's one book and it's a quick read. Um, so yeah, I, I really enjoy it. But, uh, I do, I did want to point out there doesn't seem to be as much, uh, Cosmere stuff to talk about in this book. There's not, I, I noticed we didn't really do too much theory crafting with you. And I think it's because it's sort of lighter in terms of magic. Like we're told certain things, but there's no, big overarching questions that have to deal specifically with the plot, at least not until the very end. There are a couple. Uh, As far as the magic system goes, you just get kind of like little bits of information uh, and you don't really... It's really hard to make any kind of suppositions about like how the magic system works. And until like at the one point where Professor Vasha just vomits all of the backstory of the magic. Uh, (laughs) So... That was interesting, but it didn't, I didn't really pick up where, like, I think my biggest question as far as how the world works is where do returned come from and how, like, I guess the illustrians choose them. That is on... a really good question that I, I think we should answer. Um, Craig, do you want to handle this one or you want me to? Uh, go ahead. All right. So the shard on this world is endowment. Uh, and her human name is probably Edgley because of the tears of Edgley, the, the, the of flowers. Yeah. Um, and she, like, as people die, apparently just once in a while, picks someone out who died in an interesting way and gives them a future vision and then sends them back. Uh, so these, the returned are special. Well, I don't think she necessarily sends them back so much as they choose to go back because of what they saw. Yeah, like, I don't know that she even particularly chooses them. Like, maybe she shows those visions to everybody, and the returned are just the ones that choose to return. Also a possibility. So, like, White Song's vision was of the war-breaking? Yeah, from what we get, I mean, it's most of his dreams that he keeps talking about that pop up. I mean, but, he has some dreams of what he was like beforehand. Yeah, yeah. he has a lot of dreams. But he saw he saw died. images of Lush Weaver being dead on the floor, of uh, Laramar being trapped in a cage, and Sisteron, I think, is also in part of his dream. The war breaking out, halogen burning. It's like, this is stuff that he saw. And he knew what would happen, which is why he came back. He just didn't fully know what to do about it until uh, the critical time. Yeah. And, and and keep in mind, all of the return saw something. Blush Weaver probably saw something similar about Halendrin, uh coming about. And her perspective, her idea was, let me get the army together so I'm the one controlling it so I can do something about it. Because maybe she saw something like the army was fractured. And she wanted to put a stop to it. That's why her approach is completely different than Light Song. Hmm. Uh, how, how do Philborn become returned then? That is a good question. We know it happens because th- that that is legit. Stillborn's 
become the God King. Well, the priest pick is still born to become the God King. But we don't fully know the answer to that one. Hmm. And and uh, another. It seems to be rare. It, it seems to only happen every like fifty. Right. Years. And the other big question is if the royal bloodline. How can the royal bloodline be descended from return? Craig, so, this is this Craig. is right up your alley. This is your expertise. How sure. is Babby formed? How is <laughs> I'm an expert at this. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> So I mean, because okay. supposedly returned can't have children. So by default, like if you just do the things in the in the in the fade out, uh, they're not going to form a baby. There's something that we don't know that has to be done in order for any return to have a kid. Now, um, once whatever process that is takes place, then a return can. Um, sire a child. So it's like phase one, wink fade out. Phase two, phase three, babby. What What's interesting here, though, is that uh, the priests know that that the God King can't just have a kid by doing stuff, but they have this whole process of what Siri is supposed to do with the God King in the very beginning of the book. That was never going to work. They just sort of wanted to make sure. Siri yeah, they wanted to make trusted. it look like they wanted to make it look like look like the pretty much consummating and having a baby until the although born return came although i mean they probably already had a stillborn return picked no. out no at the beginning of the book okay. the, still, the stillborn they didn't have that yet it just sort of the timing sort of lined up and then they started getting a little panicky like hey you need to look pregnant or we're just gonna <laughs> have the stillborn child presented as yours. how could they but, expect her to look pregnant if they knew that the traditional that's sort of form the of the baby formage isn't going to work. There's political stuff going on in the background that I feel sort of glossed over because of of the whole war, uh, the the talks of war. Because that was such a big focus, they couldn't prepare Siri to actually have a child. They had to just deal with, with the war thing. Hey, we also have a stillborn child. We're just going to use this kid. I have another question. How can Vivenna just abdicate her position in Idris? Like, she can't just pretend that she got lost on the streets and died because uh, Siri saw her and talked to her. What do you mean? What, what you position mean? does she, she have? She has no position. She has princess. Of what? Sure. Princess of Idris. But she's not going to, like, she's not in line for she's the not throne. Not a crown princess. No. But she has no duties because she was supposed to be sent off to marry the God King, but her younger sister did that. What exactly is she run? Is she not doing that she's responsible for? Uh, she has to report for her next mission. She has to be debriefed on all of the things she learned. Also, she gets does this whole thing where she lives on the streets, and while she's slumming it, she gets she gets more empathy for the Idrian people on the streets of Halandren, which is good. But now she's just going to abandon any position of power that she would have gone back to to help them out. That's a little stinky. Well, Siri's going to help. Like it's a, so we they sort of walk away into the sunset. But maybe there's a suggestion that they've at least the Vena has talked to Siri and like, hey, maybe you can do something for your people here. Like Siri is in power in Halendren. Well, I guess she's also going to uh, confront Yestiel, and that that'll help everyone uh i don't know i was just thinking about 
like what are going to be the repercussions of the event of just walking away from her place in Hallandren or, or her place in Egypt? Uh, I, I think one of the, but one of the coolest things about the book is that like Siri starts out like Vivenna and Vivenna starts out like Siri and they kind of switch mm. places. <laughs> yeah. There, there's a lot of things. Just think about how much of a disaster would have been if Vivenna was the one who was sent. So keep yeah. in mind the overall story, um, Bluefinger's plan was so that, you know, Vivenna would be there. She wouldn't really even talk to Susan or ever get Yeah, Vivenna probably wouldn't have shaken things up if she had stayed in the position she grew up learning to carry out. Eventually, uh, kind of like, fingers would have killed off the, the princess and made it look like the priest did the killing, and Susan Brown also would have been killed off, and then do more. Like, that's, that was Bluefinger's made the plan. One of the things that I, I kind of have a problem with, we as readers understand that it was a good decision for King uh, Dedalyn to send Ciri over to the God King. Like, we can look back at the events and say, that was, that was, that turned out really good. But from King Dedalyn's perspective, like, he never really gives his personal reason for why he sends the daughter that he sent. Yes, he does. Yeah. It's, I, I, I can't give him credit and say that he foresaw this entire thing unfold. Away. No, 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 no. At the beginning, when, favorite. yeah, at the beginning, when he's saying, I'm not doing this because I have a favorite daughter, he's lying. He 100% was doing that because he had a favorite daughter. That's it. That's his motivation there. Like, he legit just didn't want to give up yeah. Ravenna. You're not supposed yeah. to have a favorite, but come on. I mean, we come all on. have favorites. Yeah. So, it is probably the weakest part of the book. And, and Brandon has talked about this in the annotations, where maybe he could do a bit of a rewrite to try to make it seem more justified. But ultimately, yeah, he's got a favorite. That's why he does what he does. Okay. That's a, that is an acceptable answer that sounds accurate and consistent with the world Brandon has built. So I think let's, I, I know, Tori, you have a, a list of questions, and I do want to get to that, but since <laughs> we're sort of in the realm of the area, I sort of want to ask you, do you have any questions that might be magic or Cosmere related that maybe we'll be able to answer? Um, I just, at this point, just real quick before I forget, want to voice my voice my complaint that we never got to see Princess Falafel again. Falafel? <laughs> Yodi <Yodiver>, remember her. <laughs> Uh, Faffin. Faffin, that, that was it. Somebody, uh, my brother actually wrote Princess Falafel in the Discord. Yeah, I'm giggling so, about that. Tricked me. King DDD. Alright, that one was mine now. King DDD. Uh, Cosme related, I guess. Well, I guess why do different shards, uh, manifest power in different ways? Like, why is the hemallergy of Ruin and uh, Alamancy of Preservation and Biochromaticism of Edgley or okay. Endowment. So, uh, right. so it's your specific, uh, I just, I just sort of want to incorporate, uh, the shards that you mentioned. So if you look at Ruin, Ruin's style is of destruction. He, Ruin, so Ruin is a shard, right? Yeah, but Ruin is a shard. There was also, AT, right, is the guy is a human being. AT is a human being that's holding the shard. So yeah. the shards are pieces of like the grand deity that, that broke apart. 
Right. They're Ad Analysium, yes. They're they're a they're a portion of that god that existed and now that they're shards, they encompass some sort of intent that was originally a part of that god. Have an intent of Ad Yeah, Analysium. so ruin okay. it's the intent of ruin, the intent of preservation, the intent of endowment. Where do we learn about Ad Nauseam? Is that in Stormlight Archive? We talked about it in the Cosmere 101, I think. And there's been bits and pieces. Like, you you should have seen the name in, I think, Mistborn 3. It gets mentioned at least a couple of times. But uh, anyway, yeah, that's, so that is the name of Original God, who is now, has all of his power shattered into pieces. His power shattered into pieces? Yes. Or he shattered into pieces? He shattered. Also, yes. Um, so, continuing, so Ruin is all about destruction, so the way his intent manifests into Investiture is that you form this thing called Hemalurgy, which is an end-negative system where you're going to lose some power or Investiture as it's used. That's just why Hemalurgy works the way it does. Preservation, likewise, is an end-positive where you're actually using his power to fuel your Investiture. Endowment is all about, like, awakening is very much her. It's giving something, endowing something to have some sort of life. And also um, I'll point out that every human on this planet is endowed with a breath at birth. Yes. yes. Uh, so where, what's Farukami? Farukami, I think, is the sort of the combination. It's just sort of is a result of the fact that both preservation and so ruin it's, exist. It's a balance between. World. Okay, it's a balance. Right. It's you know, it's a it's neutral. Good. It's an end neutral. So that's interesting. So on Scadrial, we have two shards and thus three powers. On sure. uh, in Warbreaker, we have one shard and basically one power. And keep uh, in mind, there were two yes. shards that used to exist. So this is the weird one. There were two shards on Cell, which is Elantris world. However, okay. they have both been shattered, and the ma- the investors so they have sort of shards of the shards. Together. What they have splinters? Okay, so splinter is a sub shard. Yes. Um. Okay. But uh, there that has sort of mixed together. So instead of having like two or three different ones, as you would expect, but there there are three different ones. Oh, there's Whoa. so many more than that. Okay. They they do kind of leave it open at the end of a launch. It's like there's probably other ways to tap into the door that we don't know about, but we see three of them. We see drawn pictures. We see sculpting bones, and we see dancing. Right. So the neat thing about those. So just just to go off on the tangent of Atlantis real quick. The neat thing about those is although they're different, they're also very similar because the way you shape the bones, the way you dance. And the way you draw the Aeon, it's all very similar in that you have to map something out. You have to draw a certain symbol to get an effect, regardless right. of what the medium is that you draw it on. That so it's similar, it's just also different based on your geographic region. Now, um, well, also we talked about how the Elantrians depended on their geographic location being close to the city of Elantris and the giant Rayo. Right, because that's because Elantris is a power booster itself. Yeah. Technically, Elantris could exist without the city. They just wouldn't be very powerful. Just sort of like uh, the the Fjordels have to get more power just by shaping their bones. Um, now, the neat thing about this is all these different magic systems that we've seen. Um, 
and and I don't want to spend too much time in this because it is going to dip a little bit in the spoiler stuff, so I'm not going to mention very much, but they seem different, but there are some key foundational pieces that you aren't fully aware of yet that makes them similar. There's certain key features that all of these magic systems have. I feel like uh, Way of Kings is going to be is going to be like a big connecting piece because you're yeah. excited about it. Way of Kings is going to give you a lot more Cosmere stuff, but uh, Mistborn Era Two really gives us a lot of like the foundational how stuff works. Okay, so but, um, we, before we have we to wait up, a little bit longer for that. I do want to circle back to Warbreaker. Yeah, and probably my. Even bigger than Princess Falafel, my biggest disappointment in Warbreaker is I looked at the cover and I was promised blue hair. Where's the blue <laughs> hair? Dude, they can change their hair whenever they want. We just never saw it on screen. So, I, I don't know if you remember. I was you, lied predicted, to. you predicted your cover with Siri. Have, have you changed your mind over who that is? Well, it looks like she's breathing, so it could be Vivenna. It's totally but Vivenna. She's. She's wearing a dress that's almost perfectly... Dis- hey, there's a sword there, too. Yeah, and you know that sword. Um, I don't know, though. But the thing is, the dress that she's wearing is almost perfectly described but as a series first dress when she first meets Scott. But the fact that she's breathing means it's probably the Venna. Right. So, yeah, so let's... And let's. Did I answer your question? I don't know if I answered your question well enough, but... Blue hair? <laughs> I meant the earlier question, but sure. Why did why is King DDD a jerk? Actually, so when I look at the cover, I always thought it was white hair, not really blue hair. Like I just assumed it was when she right right before or right during when she uh went to slum it. Like I guess because she has her dress, it would be right before. But so yeah, any any other Cosmere or magic related questions? Maybe? Nope. Then I have a question for Dave that relates to. Uh... Something we got in the chat from Tiru. Uh, he was wondering, uh, what about how the economics would change if almost the entire planet's resources weren't spent on the return, and not so much planets, but cities, and given what you now know about the the religion of the returned and the, the court of the gods and how that all works, is that expenditure worth it? The expenditure of hosting and worshiping gods? Is that what you're asking? If that's worth it? Worth it? Yeah. Um, because these, these people have come back to life with a vision of the future, uh, and they are kept in luxury and also kept ignorant to give them sort of the best opportunity to act on that vision without external bias. Is that worth it? Sure. Even though there is like massive income inequality, like I would say at least equal to what we've. A lot of people get paid to be priests. A lot of people get paid to make dresses. A lot of people get paid to build. A lot of people get paid to make dye, to paint stuff. It's a whole economy. Tourism, man. And and Dave, that is a good point because they. It's not like they're just hoarding the money. It's it's like you mentioned. They're putting money back into the economy Uh, when they get a breath from someone as a donation to return, they're paying the family. So it's not like they're just hoarding the money and sitting on it. It's just, it's I, it's part of the economy. It's, mm, it just seems to me that, like, the the income inequality on in Warbreaker is 
at least equal to what we saw on Scadrial. Nah, now, Scadrial, hold on, hold on, let me explain. Okay. The the poorest people in Halandrin are still way better off than the Ska were. But the nobility on Scadrial were not in any way as anywhere close to as extravagant as the Court of the Gods. Right, but... I don't have a problem with extravagance. I have a problem with oppression. So, like... There are a couple dozen of return, and you can hire the same type of workers. Like, the people who make the fireworks, they're doing doing it for a number of return. It's not like each return has its own set of people that must cater to their whims. They sort of, like, come accept donations and come volunteer to help out certain return, that sort of thing. Also, like, in in the in Halandrin, the poor people have an opportunity to make money by selling their breath. They have basic necessities for the most part. They're not they're not just willy nilly being murdered by the gods in Halandrin. Like I the the fact that the poor are better off in Halandrin means that I I don't really feel uneasy about the gods being living in luxury. Like, I don't have a problem with it. If they were living in luxury and going around killing people or forcing them into slavery or something, then yeah, that would be a problem. But I don't think that it's a worse situation. I think that Scadrill is a worse situation than Halentrin. Okay. So, should we get into Tori's questions? Yes. What do you have, Tori? Uh, so I just found some random Warbreaker book club questions on an old Reddit post, and uh, a couple of them seemed interesting to talk about. Um, one of them you just sort of covered with the economy question. Um, was it immoral for the returned and Hallandrin to take breath from their willing followers? So I, I feel like we already covered that one. Um the thing I really want to know, guys, is which ability of Awakening was the most interesting to you, and why? Nightblood. <laughs> I knew you were gonna say. Uh, immortality slash immunity to disease and sickness, and mostly poison? I, I have to agree. The, the, in the, the passive benefits just from holding breath are really cool. But that doesn't necessarily have to do Awakening so much as just holding investiture. And, you know, I've I've brought this up before, but once you're at that level, you can also, if you get bored or lonely, make a little straw friend to fetch your keys for you if you lost them. Nah, man, you gotta create an Aloysius. <laughs> uh, I, I do actually... The question was most interesting. I, I do actually want to put Nightblood out there as an object that was not even organic to begin with, to be given... A, a sentience and the ability to think and to, in his own way, determine right from wrong. I think right. that's probably the most interesting. Well, specifically not right from wrong so much as good and evil. Because that's, that's all it knows is its command. Yeah. Well, I mean, it knows other things, but that's its intent. What about you, Tori? Uh, you know what? As much as I would like to make an Aloysius of my own, um, I'm a bit of a hoarder, and the part where you can't recover breath from awakening, making a lifeless, um, 
I don't think I'd be able to do it because it's like the elixir problem in the Final <laughs> Fantasy games. You know, you are on the last boss. I know, but I, we only have thirty of them. <laughs> right. So you finish so, the game with nine hundred ninety-nine elixirs because you might need them later. Gosh, <laughs> there's a pro ZD skit just with that very thing. Um, <laughs> the the Ven- so the Venice whole approach to waking though is like completely opposite, which is I'm just going to use it, and she doesn't care if she loses it. Like she's she's throwing in the rope and stuff. She's like, it's better that this keeps me alive than you know. Oh, Vasha is I hold hold on to my breath and die. Yeah, Vasher puts himself in a situation where he literally can never hope to retrieve his yeah, breath. Yeah, so it's yeah, Vasher it, and Vavenda sort of have the same approach and perspective. Uh, they should get together. I, I they, feel like if I if I was to practice awakening, I would get really good at awakening clothing and then recovering the breath afterwards because I yeah I just couldn't waste them. You know, it, can I awaken uh, my clothing to clean themselves? Potentially. Oh. It depends on what your thought is on how they clean themselves. If they just shake a bit and get dust out, <laughs> you know, I don't know that's very effective. I'm picturing an empty suit of clothes just kind of <laughs> lounging in the bathtub. <laughs> so everywhere. See, I was I was picturing more of a, a sorcerer's apprentice kind of deal of, you know, you right. give you give a shirt the command wash clothes and then hey, it does your laundry. And then it all falls apart. Alright, so next question. Uh, so one of the book club questions is what is evil? Um, because Nightblood doesn't know. Um, so we can talk about that, but what I really want to talk about is what command would you give your oh fancy awakened sword to make it okay. better than Nightblood? Let's establish rules. Uh, commands have to be relatively simple and, and well imagined. So two or three words, and you have to have like a clear idea in your head of what that means. So Tell my the... thought is I want something like protect my holder or something like that. I feel like straying into evil and good and law and order, like that's just, no, that's just gonna, it's gonna fall apart. So I feel like going for a protection type angle might do better than creating a sword that just wants to destroy evil and leech investiture off of someone when drawn. Slice bread. <laughs> I kind of feel like Dave has the better the better way to go here because you know, Craig, what happens when someone bad gets a hold of your sword eventually? Right, that, that, that is sort of the problem. But you don't want to say protect good because then you have the same issue of destroy evil. Well, I'm the one creating it. So but the one creating the sword is defining good and evil for the sword, right? If they have a clear idea, if they don't, then that's a problem. Well, I yeah, think I think that was part of the problem with, with Nightblood is that Shishara didn't have... There's no problem with Nightblood. Shishara didn't have a clear concept of of good or evil when giving that command. Nightblood right. has a best friend named Shishara, and he hasn't seen <laughs> her all day. All day. I like that all part. Day. All day. Um, but yeah, look at how Nightblood is used. He's Bashar throws Nightblood, sheets and all, into a room of some evil dudes, and someone gets the idea. The way it works is that Nightblood gets into their head and like, hey, you could destroy all these evil people. And then they do that, and then they decide to sh- destroy themselves 
because they feel like they have some evil within them. So it doesn't, it's not necessarily based on who created the sword of what their concept of good and evil, so much as whoever's holding the sword, what they feel evil is. Is that right? I don't know if I agree with that. That's how Wasn't it, the one giving the commands, the one having the picture in their well, head, he, what should be carried But out. Nightblood has sentience. He's different. Okay. He, he's not, he's not like a, a wake, he's not a fetch keys straw figure. He's a sword, a metal object that eventually gets sentient. So he can interpret the command and his interpretation of, of that is if someone, whoever the holder is, he sort of has to rely on the holder to determine what evil is. And he uses that because he doesn't know what good and evil are. It doesn't make sense for a sword. There's, there's some problems with how Nightblood is made, even though he is perfect. <laughs> but yeah, that's why I'm like, maybe I need a protection angle. But Mike, as you mentioned, how do you protect, how do you, how do you prevent someone who shouldn't be holding the sword, holding the sword? Like, like, how do you make sure it is actually used for our definition of good? And that's really hard to do. Wriggle free of everyone but me. Well, right. You could say protect me, as in me, the maker, in which case the sword only works for me. Or in which case you could say destroy what I say. But there's problems. Protect it is hard to make a sword. Nightblood is very much an Alpha 1.0 like no, he's Lord. No beta testing. He's Lord. Lord. <laughs> oh my gosh! Just wait till he gets an emotion chip. Oh, spoilers! <laughs> Zeta, that emotion chip is no longer canon. Turn it off. <laughs> Both Star Trek in first contact, the movie, not the episode. All right. Uh, does anyone have anything else, or are we pretty much good to to cut out here? Did you have any other questions, Tori? No, that was all the book club questions I have. I um, do have an update for the diagram. Oh. Yes, please. Okay. From the diagram, book of the master bedroom closet under that scarf I never wear that I won't get rid of because it's too dang pretty. And Marie Kondo says that sort of thing is okay. As the prophecies foretold, uh, we were scheduled to start Warbreaker between August 25th and October 13th, and uh, we actually started on September 8th, so that's right on schedule. Likewise, on schedule, uh, we were supposed to finish Warbreaker between December 1st and February 16th, and today, the time of recording is January 26th, that is well within the range. Um... Yeah, so we're good at this game. We are, we are. Original predictions had Way of Kings starting between December 15th and March 8th, so it's still on schedule. And we're supposed fan. to, yeah, supposed to finish between May 24th and October 4th. Uh, <laughs> All of summer. Right. Summer reading program. <laughs> Indeed. Except oh. you have to read multiple books to oh, finish Tori. the summer reading program. Tori, I just Wait. I just heard your soul die for a second when when Dave said <laughs> summer reading program. <laughs> it's, it's amazing how you can hear it in my voice. Um. Anyway, Way of Kings is going to cover uh, episodes eighty six through one hundred and nine. The 
other big news I have for you guys is I have typed the diagram. It is a Google spreadsheet, and I am prepared to share it in the Discord as soon as we're done recording. Yay! Yay! Um, so I made some updates to the diagram um, based on the status of Sanderson. I had originally predicted that Brandon, you know, might get bored in the middle of working on Stormlight 4 and would just pump out Wax and Wayne number 4 like he did in the past. But so far that hasn't happened, and we have a release date for Stormlight 4, and Wax and Wayne 4 is not done yet. So I went ahead and in the diagram I switched out the order, uh, because I had predicted that we would do Wax and Wayne first. Change the diagram? Well, yeah, I had a day of genius. I'm allowed to do that. Okay. Diagram literally means... As long as you pass the test at the time. That's probably not true. What does dia mean? Yeah, like, I I did the crossword in the paper, and I did okay, so I I felt like... um, Anyway, another thing I did is, based on our discussions, uh, I moved White Sands uh, Volume 1 to After Oathbringer, um, publication-wise, that was where Volume 2 and Volume 3 were going to be, and we had said something about doing all three volumes at once, Yeah. so I went ahead and moved that in the schedule, uh, so that all of them are together. It, it would just, it would just be kind of bonkers to read the first third of a story, and then Oathbringer for eight months, and then parts two and three of that story. Yeah, hey, that's after awful. Oathbringer, I can start listening to the Cosmere Deep Dive podcast. Can? Yes, you can. You can hear how we made fun of you oh so much. Uh, um, I do have, actually, a question, but not related to Warbreaker. Since we are moving on the way of King soon, uh, the next episode we do will be reading, right? Yes. We're doing the... So, my question for you, Dave, is knowing absolutely nothing, what is Way of Kings about? Uh, there's gonna be this shard, and it's gonna <laughs> have some kind of investiture, and there's gonna be some kings, and, and they have to, there's gonna be, like, they have to follow some road, like, a bunch of kings are gonna meet up and walk down this road, and then they're gonna come to an intersection, and they're gonna call it King's Cross, and then they're gonna get on platform nine and three No, we did so well! <laughs> Oh, it's been so a well. Cool episode. Um, I'm not gonna guess. Let me read the book. You don't want any, any, nothing fun. Not no fun. Okay. What, the, uh, what is the, the magic system? Give me something. The magic system. The shard is named Mon- Monarchio, and it gives, <laughs> <laughs> it gives people charisma to influence nations. Alright, there you go. That is 900 pages summed up right there. A thousand and one in hardcover, my dude. Okay, I don't actually know how many pages. I'm just along for the ride. I do. Alright, I think that's good for everything this week. Uh, So, bye everybody. See you next mission. Bye. Good night, Internet. This has been the Cosmere Deep Dive Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at at CosmereCast, or like us on Facebook. Our theme music is Traveling Made Up Continents by Gillicuddy, used with permission. Hear more from him at the Free Music Archive. Thanks for listening. Mm-hmm.